Matthew chapter 15 in your Bibles, if you would, please. Matthew 15. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is vain. All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Matthew chapter 15 this morning. And I want to begin reading in verse 21. Matthew 15, 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. And he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Let's pray. Lord, all is vain unless you come down. We need you right now. You've been doing a work in our hearts. And yet I am confident by what you have uh, told me with regard to this message that there is more work that you want to do. And it doesn't have to be vain. You can accomplish much today. And so I pray, Lord, you would do that. Work in every heart here, Lord. May our hearts be wide open to you, Holy Spirit, for your comfort. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of weeks ago, first semester really, I was talking with Dr. Jim and we were just throwing some thoughts back and forth. I don't remember the exact conversation, but I do remember the subject and finally concluded by looking at me and saying, you need to preach on this in chapel. And I thought, okay, yeah, someday we'll get there. And then comes this semester in opening meetings and the numbers of opportunities that I've had to counsel just in what God is doing in specific hearts made it obvious that it was today. This message had to be today. This is what I think is the need of the hour. I think there's not one subject that I counsel on more than this one. And I never really have delivered publicly what I'm going to give today. I have used bits and pieces of, the, of this in counseling. So some of the men that are here will have heard some of this. Probably ladies, not at all. Unless it's Lindsay. <laughs> but today is the day. And I bring this to you based on the text of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, you don't have to go there, I'll read it, 2 Corinthians 1, if you're taking down some notes or uh, 
or some references, you might want to mention this. 1.3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I'm going to be giving a bit of my own testimony this morning. And I want to uh, just exhort you that Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. If I didn't have victory in this area in my life that God had comforted me with years ago, I would not be able to deliver this to you. Quite frankly, I don't think I'd be the dean of men here. It really did change the course of my life, what I'm going to give you today from the Word. God has led me to the text here, a little bit, seems a bit odd, but Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21, and the title of my message this morning is, Who is the cause of my wounds? Who is the cause of my wounds? We have uh, heard messages lately about, uh, about being hurt in our past, about being wounded. And today I'm going to speak especially of the relationship that you have with your father. It's the very final thing that God said in the Old Testament. The last word that he gave. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. When Gabriel came to the temple 400 years later, he reviewed that with Zechariah. He reviewed that statement made in Malachi. It would seem to me that that's a very important relationship. And don't you know that the devil knows that? If he can somehow get you off of the ground of faith and you give ground in that relationship to the devil, it will affect every area of your life, period. The difficulty is that we, at the same time, can say, oh, no, I'm fine in that area. I'm really okay. I know I did it. I'm not bitter. Well, maybe you're not. I don't want you to be introspective here. You don't have to create something that isn't there. The Holy Spirit knows. And he will clearly show you if you want to know. Let's go through the text here. As we find, uh, this is what God gave me for this morning. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very, it's almost humanly concerning the way that the Lord is responding to this lady. She's coming with good motives. She's coming with uh, her, her needs. She's coming in the right fashion. She's coming. And what does she get? Can we agree together right at the beginning here, though, that everything that Jesus does and says is right? Can we agree with that? Boy, that's good. Because if you didn't agree, I'd have to go preach something else. That's like the basis of my message right there. He didn't do anything wrong. 
everything and everything that he said or didn't say, every way that he said it, everything that he did is for her. Do you believe that? Let me say it another way. If he had not responded the way that he did, it would have been bad for her. It would have hurt her. Can you trust God that way this morning? Can you believe him for that? You might have stood there like the disciples and said, something's not right here. This isn't going well. And offer your own suggestion to the Lord, to God here, about how he could improve his counseling measures. Okay? But you would be wrong, wouldn't you? Invariably, you would be wrong, and he would be right. Can we yield to him in that way today? Do you know what we call that, by the way, if you'll do that this morning? We call that faith. I'm going to believe you. I'm not going to believe me. Not how I feel, not what I think, not the way it sounds. I'm going to believe you, God. Great was her faith. Let's take a look at this. Five times I believe the Lord is going to, uh, to test her today. Five times he's going to test her. Five times she, has, she is faced with a choice of how to respond to that test. Five times. If she fails in any one of them, she has failed. Number one. It says here that uh, Jesus departed here from, that's Galilee, and went up into Tyre and Sidon. If he did that today, he would walk into this country of Lebanon. He has left Israel, we understand, for the first time. He has gone away to a foreign place here. He's left the home of the Jews. He's, He's gone to the Gentiles. And Mark's account of this is quite interesting. In Mark 7, 24, it says this about the same thing. And from thence, that's Galilee, he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, listen, and entered into an house and would have no man know it. And would have, would have no man know it? Why would he travel some 50 miles on foot? A significant journey to this place, which is now the hometowns of Jezebel, the homeland of Baal, and then enter into a house and close the door and shut the blinds and doesn't want anybody to know he's there. Why? Seems odd. Mark 7, 24, the last phrase says, but he could not be hid but he could not be hid. You know, for this woman, and we're going to see this situation through her eyes, number one, it would appear that you are not here for me. You're not, you're not here for me. You're hiding. You're, you're distant. You didn't come for me. And now she's faced with a response. She has a need. She definitely has a need. But he didn't come here for me. He doesn't seem interested in me. How does she respond to this? Well, it says here in 
verse 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him. She came. It would appear to her that he's not, he's not coming for me. Then I'm going to come to you. How does she do in the first test? How does she, does she respond okay? Or does she say, hey, if you're not going to come knock on my door, I'm whatever. If you don't need me, I don't need you. How do we respond when things don't seem to be going our way? When somebody doesn't seem to be interested in us? Are you still interested in them? I could ask you the question now, why? Why did she come? The word cry here, by the way, in the Greek is pretty specific. It's a loud cry. can even be obnoxious. Three times this same word is used of those that cried against Jesus to put him on the cross. Crucify him. They yelled it. They screamed it. It's an unashamed cry. It's the same cry that Jesus used to get Lazarus to come out of the grave. It's a loud cry she came with. It seems like he doesn't want me here. He doesn't want me to come. I'm coming anyway. Why? Did she respond well? Okay, let me ask you this. If she got offended at this point, if she got offended, personally offended, how would it go for her? Would she come? She heard, she came. Point number two. Now he's in hiding here, and uh, to her, it seems that either you don't know or you don't care about my needs. Either you don't know what I'm going through or you don't care. Wow, that's kind, of, uh, that's kind of harsh. What was her need? Can you find it in the text? What was her need? Somebody tell me what her need was. Okay, yes, her daughter has a need. What's her need? It's in the text. You're not wrong. I just want you to look a little closer. What is her need? She didn't say, have mercy on my daughter. She said, have mercy on me. Do you need mercy? Do you know why she's there that day? She needs mercy. How great is your need for mercy? If you see your need, your need as the greatest thing, then you will not become offended. You will want your need met. She has a great need. Because of that, she has heard and she has come and she has cried. And even when Jesus sees, seems disinterested, seems, by the way, is he interested? 
Okay, let's just remember that. But we're looking at this through her eyes. We have the, you know, the advantage of the entire story. She's the one that has to live this out. But the truth is, and here's my, here's my, here's my thought, I believe we've all lived this out. And I'm going to parallel this with the relationship that we have with our fathers. Because sometimes it may seem as though he's disinterested. And that he doesn't know what I'm going through, he doesn't care. And you have a choice in a way to respond. And frankly, by this time, you already have responded a number of ways when faced with this. You already have. Maybe sometimes well, maybe sometimes not. Can you have your needs met if you respond in an improper way? That's what we're looking for here. If she gets offended at this point, is she going to get mercy? No, if she gets offended, where's she going? Home. Home. But his, his reaching out to her in this way, which doesn't appear to be, but her, his, his responses to her are not meant to make her go home. It's meant to do what? Test her, grow her faith. It needs to grow so that she can have mercy. So number two, either you don't know or you don't care about my needs, yet we know that he does. Her response is here found in verse 22. You don't know or don't care, I'm going to communicate to you my needs. Does she communicate them? Here's what my needs are. I need mercy. Specifically, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now, do you know why she needs mercy then? If her daughter's vexed with a devil, does she have any culpability in this? Does mom? Can we say that probably things aren't right in the home? Mom's allowed some things. I don't know. There's been a, certainly an atmosphere that's conducive to this, an atmosphere that's inviting to demonic influence and then possession. And mom comes and says, it's me. She doesn't say it's my daughter. Mom says, it's me. I've done wrong here. I need mercy. This is why her, her feet are pointed in the right direction. This is why she's stayed here at the feet of Christ. Literally, Mark tells us that she's, she's fallen at his feet because she recognizes that she's done wrong. And her daughter's paying the price. But notice here now, uh, in verse 23, it says, but he answered her not a word. That is just remarkable. Hard to explain, really. Not what we would think uh, would be Jesus' response. I'm sure, it, I'm sure it confused the disciples. I'm sure it threw them. He was moving through areas and healing people, and many times it didn't take much time at all. Sometimes all they had to do was reach out and touch his garment, and it was done. This time, it, it's like he doesn't even look at her. 
Point number three, you're not listening to me. You're not listening. All right. Why is Jesus not listening? Well, we already said he's definitely testing her faith, wanting to see it grow. Do you understand that inside of him, with everything that he has, he's saying, come on, don't go away. Come on, come on, keep coming. You know that? Okay. And Jesus says, even now to you, with regard to your responses in relationships, especially that of your fathers, we zero in on that one today. You say, well, sometimes this happens with my parents or even my dad, and, you know, my dad, <laughs> my dad, oh, my dad. Sure, your dad. Of course your dad. Hello? You have a dad? Yes, your dad. Do you know what your problem is? Your dad's a sinner, I think. Yeah, I think so. Except, well, yeah. Okay. No comment. What? Are you kidding me? My dad is a sinner? I think we could say with some confidence. Yes? Do you know what I did? I looked through the scriptures and I thought, I've got to find some dads in here. And, uh, you know, some that really blew it with their kids. Maybe it would help to encourage us with our own fathers if we could just see some examples of some men that just really blew it in their homes. I mean, they just obviously were disconnected. They didn't get their point across to their, to their sons or daughters. And uh, I don't know, maybe it would encourage us with their own dad. So I just went down through the list. You could be very glad that you don't have a father like this. Number one, Adam. I think we could say that he missed a few things there in family devotions, didn't he? Like, don't kill each other? <laughs> Bruise, maim, whatever, but don't kill. How about Noah? Did he have problems? Wow. If you're unsure, read Genesis 9. We don't have time. The list goes on. Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, struggled as a father, didn't he? Wow. The father of the 12 tribes of Israel. There's, there's others. There's the prophet Samuel. Struggled somehow. Frankly, if you look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8 and the first three verses, you'll, you, you read about Samuel's sons and you think, are we sure we're not talking about Eli's boys? What happened here? It literally says that they turned aside to filthy lucre and took bribes and perverted justice. And so what did Samuel do? He made them judges. Oh. Samuel, as a father. King David. Did he struggle with his kids? Why, well, it wasn't even just don't kill each other. 
please don't kill me. Right? King David has a father. Solomon, do you know often, at least at Christmas time, we talk about Joseph the carpenter there in Nazareth. Do you know that his children, even when they were adults, didn't believe what he believed? In John chapter 7, in verse 5, it says, For neither did Jesus' brethren believe in him. As adults, they did not yet believe what their father believed. There was somehow a disconnect. There's something missing there. And these men, I think in this list of names is one who was called the friend of God. But as a father, he's missing something. And another, a man after my own heart, God said. But as a father, lacking. Sinners. Right? Why, how could you be a son or a daughter to a sinner? How? Did I forget to mention that we are too? Right here? But sometimes we get more focused on somebody else's need than our own. That really is it, isn't it? Do you know invariably in counseling, you know, any sort of church counseling, you're going to deal with somebody who has read the Bible, understands the Bible, but what they did is they got into somebody else's commands. This is what my dad's supposed to be doing. This is what my wife's supposed to be doing. Here, look at these verses. They're not wrong. They're just not looking at the verses written to them. They're not responding right. Number three, you're not listening to me. Nevertheless, she doesn't turn away. She doesn't get bitter. She cries the more and the disciples get involved. Number four, Jesus says in verse 24, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And number four, you love someone else more than you love me. I'm not the apple of your eye. She could clearly at this point just say, okay, I get the, I get the picture. If she's going to get in focused here, Focused on herself, it's over. She's going to walk away like the rich young ruler. It's been done before. She's going to walk away, and she doesn't get mercy. And her daughter pays the price. The next generation. Notice verse 25, her response. Then came she and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. Then came she and worshipped him. I believe this is where Mark and Mark 7 says that she fell at his feet. She just right there. I have nowhere else to go but here. Do you believe that about your dad? You believe you have the right dad? Did you get the right one? Oh, yeah, you say that now. 
Do you always live that out? Was there a mistake? You do realize you got the sinning one, right? We were fresh out of perfect ones. The shipment was a week late. You missed yours. And uh, you had to settle for this one. Oh, boy. There you go. Wish I had his dad. That one. Why? He's wise, and he's in the scriptures, and he has a degree. I'd, I'd like to have that one. I know we don't literally think that way. But do you give more honor to somebody else's dad than your own? Hello? Do you treat somebody else's dad? Would you rather spend more time with somebody else's dad than your own? Ouch. Honor thy father and mother. She comes and she worships. I need mercy. I'm not going anywhere else. She's already got this settled in her heart. I need mercy. Notice here now, finally, Jesus, this is the final test, 26. And he answered and said, and maybe this is the most grievous one, most hard to explain. It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Ouch. I don't believe that Jesus is meaning to demean her by calling her a dog. He's referring broadly now to the Canaanites, of which she is ethnically one. She's a Canaanitish woman living here in Tyre and Sidon. There's just nothing really good about her situation as far as that goes. She's very needy. She's, she's obviously made wrong choices. And now here she is, wanting what he has come to provide for Israel. And you have no legal claims, even though she called him the son of David. You have no legal claims to this. You're a Gentile. I'm telling you, just you read that verse, and it's, it's shocking. If there's any humanity in her, any flesh at all, she's out of here. Do you understand that? Because those words seem very offensive. And it wouldn't take anything at all to be offended at this point. Right? Quite a test. You ever been tested? You know, and you're right there to be offended? It is not meat. It's not appropriate. It's not the plan to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. It's a test. And notice the answer. Does she negotiate with him? Well, dogs is strong. I, I'm, there's various kinds of dogs. I'm a nice dog. <laughs> I'm, there's nice dogs. There's, there's bad dogs. I, I wouldn't put myself in the bad dog category. I, you understand. I, I really could use some mercy, but I'm not that bad. What does she say? What's the word? Truth. You know what she says? You're right. You're right. I don't have, I don't deserve this. Point number five, you don't believe in me. I'm, you don't even think I'm worthy. 
You think I'm a no account. That's what she's faced with. You don't think I deserve anything. And honestly, that's the way it sounded. And how does she respond? You're right, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. You know, um, I was at a wedding once. I've told a number of men here this in different classes, but uh, I was at a wedding one time, and the man that was doing the, the wedding was challenging the couple, and I didn't know him, and I didn't know much about him, but he said this to the couple. He said, I just want to tell the two of you that if either one of you would take at least 60% of the blame in any disagreement, you'll be fine. Your marriage will be fine if you take at least 60%. I don't know where he got that number. I, I, I couldn't find the number 60, but it, you know, 60. If you'll take 60%, I think his point was, then I'll take over half of the blame and you'll be fine. And, uh, you know, the church I was in, the people obviously just responded. They thought, well, that's good. I mean, you could just hear that, wow. And so uh, he, he was encouraged by that. So later in the, in the same wedding service there, he said it again. He said, I'll remember how I said that if you take at least 60% of the blame in any, in any disagreement, you'll be fine. Everything will be fine. And it was like even better. Yes, I thought they were going to clap. And I was thinking through that, and afterwards, after the ceremony was over, a man came up to me and, that I knew, and he said, he said, uh, Pastor, what do you think about that? And I'd had a little time to go through it, and I said to him, I said, if Christ took 60% of your blame for you, where would you go when you died? Why, well, he stepped back a minute. Where would you go? If you had 40% of hell, how much of it would you have? And if you only had to be there 40% of the time, how long would you be there? Aren't you glad that Jesus took more than 60% of your blame? Do you know that we can stand before our Father, let's say in this case, this could apply to any relationship, and you could say, I, you know, I'm partly to blame, but he's to blame, he's, he's uh, responding in this way, and this is, the, this is the case for me, and as I look at my dad, I can recognize maybe everything isn't right for him, and uh, so how can I be expected to respond in this way? How much of the blame are you going to take? You know what Philippians 2 says? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What, what, what mind is that? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon him the form of a... A servant. Do you know that servants never argue with their owners, their masters? A slave just responds like this lady is. She's got a servant's heart. You say, well, I'm not a servant. Maybe that's it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we had a servant's heart, then we wouldn't create expectations for our fathers. We would seek to fill their expectations. If we were a servant, 
We would not create expectations for our fathers that they're not meeting. We would seek to meet with all of our might the expectations that our fathers have for us. A servant. Woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. I was a freshman in Bible college. I was at college. I was in my dorm room when I received the phone call that my parents were splitting. I'm going to be very careful as I give you my testimony here because it involves others. Later that summer, I was working at a Christian camp, building on the camp, counseling, and received a phone call during that summer that the divorce was finalized. I, was, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. To the, uh, to the small fundamental church that we went to, our family was the ticket. Everything was. Kids were dressed just right. Everything looked good. Well, like homes are, it's a little different at home. Okay, that's what I was raised in. And uh, just in the scope of this, let me just give you an example so that we can really hone in on what is the proper response to a, a sinful parent. I can remember one day when I was about a junior in high school. And um, I grew up on a farm, I think most of you know that. It was my grandfather's farms, though. We built a house on a corner of one of my grandfather's farms. And so as I was growing up, I worked for my grandfather, his farms, his equipment. One day, grandfather came to me and he said, I'm going to have you do something in the field that you haven't done before, but I'll explain how to do it. You'll do fine. And so we took the largest tractor that we had, and there were not one implement behind it, but two. So there was a lot to watch, and it was pretty complicated, but... He said, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to pull one thing, and that's going to be hooked to another thing, and you're going to go through the field, and this is how you're going to do it. And so I went out to the field, and that's what I was doing. I was doing what my grandfather had instructed me to do with his equipment on his land. And I was out there for a few hours. Things were going fine. And noticed I, I looked up, and as I was coming to the end of the rows here, I looked up in the pickup. My dad's pickup was coming. And uh, so I got to the end of the row and stopped, and he came, and my dad was um, really exercised. And I don't know exactly what it was, some miscommunication between he and his dad. I don't know. I don't know. But he was exercised. And I couldn't even get a word in. And so I didn't. I got quiet, and I never said a word. And I was faced with a choice at that point. It wasn't hard for me as a junior in high school to recognize something's amiss here. Okay, that's not. But I have a choice. You've got to get this. I've got a choice. And I went out the wrong window on this one, as I did many times. And that tore me up. I was hurt bad. Not much more was said about it. We just moved past it. You learn to cope, you know. It gets buried deep, 
And years go by, and if you ask me, hey, you better at your dad, I mean, that's just one example. Okay, there's many out there, and many, many, many more that I'm, I'm responsible for responses and certainly involved in. And if you'd have asked me, hey, are you bitter against your dad? No, I mean, no, because I'm coping. I've learned to cope. It's okay. And now I'm married and have children, and I'm sitting in my study one day as a pastor, and I have my Bible open. This is years ago, and I'm, I don't know, I'm reading, I guess, and I'm thinking through some things, and all of a sudden, God spoke to me, and it wasn't an audible voice, don't get me wrong, but as one evangelist said, it's louder than that. And God said this. He says, why don't you want to go visit your dad? We would on occasion go out to the place where my dad lives there, the, the city there, and we'd stay with my mom and, and visit my dad. And I said, well, I visit my dad. He said, that's not what I asked you. Why don't you want to visit your dad? And I said, I visit him. I do, I visit him. He said, you're not answering my question. Why don't you want to visit your dad? He had me on that one. I said, well, you know what, you know what it was like. You know, you know how things were, you know. He asked the same question. Why don't you want to go visit your dad? And I said, uh, you, know, you know what it was like. And he said, why is it that every time I ask you a question about you, you point at your dad? And I stopped. And truth began to come. I knew that my dad had responsibilities of his own. Fathers do this. Husbands do that. But you know, some of these are addressed to me. Do you understand that? Children, obey. Honor thy father. Hear the instruction. And it was clear now that I was tying what I was doing to what he was doing. And you can't do that. Why, why do you do that? Do you know what happens to homes and society itself if we do that? Well, I'm not going to obey that police officer. Did you see what he did last weekend? We don't do that. And I had this realization that I was in great need, that I had done wrong. More than that, the Lord struck me with the idea, I wonder what would have been different in our home if I had obeyed. I'm sitting there in my office. This probably didn't take more than two or three minutes. And already I'm thinking things I never, were, I never would have traveled this thought process before. I wonder what would be different I wonder how I could have helped my dad. I wonder if my parents would still be married. If I had obeyed. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I will never know that. Suddenly I'm not blaming, I'm not thinking of what others have done, I'm only focused on me. 
What did I do? How did I obey? And you know, when I got, when I got free about this, and when I agreed with God, when I said, truth, Lord, I was free. I'm telling you, free. Suddenly, I want to be with my dad. I don't mind spending time with my dad. If my dad says, hey, do you mind going to this with me? Before I try, I'm awful busy. Uh, now it's, yeah, sure. I'd love to. Where are we going? Do you know God gave me a task too? When I came here, we came, at the time we came, school was starting, so my wife was unpacking, and uh, on a given day, she had unpacked some pictures. And I didn't know this, I was over here. This is uh, five and a half years ago. I'm over here doing whatever the dean does, I'm over here. And I go home at the end of the day, and I walk into the bedroom, and I turn, and on my dresser, imagine this, this holy place, my dresser, is an eight by 10 picture of my dad. No warning, no consultation. All I did was take my jacket off, turn, and there is my dad. Like, my dad is on my dresser. Why is my dad on my dresser? <laughs> my dad's never been on my dresser. I've, I wasn't, there was, it was just like that. There was the test. And years, do you understand, for years there had been the rut, like, why are we going to do that? I mean, what, we have hallways, we have closets, we have boxes. What? What? Why dressers? Why, why does it have to be a dresser? But you know, I stood and I looked at my dad, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I looked at my dad, and, and I looked at my dad, and I looked. And it wasn't there. Then there. It didn't come back. And I just looked and I, I said, sure. I think I said it out loud. Why not? Why not my dresser? That's my dad. That's my dresser. <laughs> well, at least you've got that down. If you're taking notes, you might need that. Does this not make sense? Nobody else is going to come walking in my room and say, hey, why is your dad on your dresser? Right? But you know, bitterness in my heart would say, really? Come on. Seriously? And for a lot of years in my life, yeah. All the while I'm saying, I don't have a problem with my dad. No. I visit my dad. We're okay. But not on my dresser. He doesn't have a special place in my heart. I walked out of my room, came down the hallway. My wife met me like she knew. She wondered if there was going to be this nuclear explosion in there. <laughs> this is a true story. It happened right over here. The house is still there, so obviously, <laughs> obviously that didn't happen. And she said, I, I wondered if that was going to be okay. And I, said, I looked at her and I said, yeah, it's okay. And I didn't work it up. I didn't have to. You know why? Because I said truth. 
He doesn't need mercy. I do. He may have a speck. You ought to see the beam. You ought to just get a picture of this thing. His speck wouldn't make it into a medical journal. This beam, it'd be on Fox News. Do you understand that? This is a big deal. How is it with you and dad? Do you want to be with him? Don't try to work it up. If, if, if your dad is not your daddy, that's my daddy. You know there's something different about saying dad and daddy. There was a day when you were five or six or eight and your dad was 10 feet tall. And your dad's never been 10 feet tall. And your dad could run faster and jump higher and he could do things that you knew he could do. You'd never seen it, but you knew it. You knew he could do those things, because that, you know why you knew it? Because that's your daddy. Something happened in there, and he was no longer your daddy. And you just as soon as somebody else said, hey, you want to go out? And you'd go with them sooner than your daddy. Your dad needs to be your daddy. And you need to be five and six and eight again. You know, you know what my dad had to change in order for this to happen in my heart? Do you know what he had to do? He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to change anything. This is the beauty of it. I don't need to call your dad and say, oh man, you gotta get with it. I don't need to. The beams are here, right? I don't know if this is a need in your own heart, in your own relationship. I know that you can be free. I know that. I've lived it. Let's bow our heads.